Styro. What did I put in my coffee? What is it? What is up with you? And welcome back to another episode of Refactored, the show where we try and help business leaders in technical sectors do their job better and engineers who want to be business leaders get there eventually. And along the way, hopefully suck a little less. At least I try. Um, Let's see. Today's date is March 2nd, 2021. My goodness, where is the year going? Uh, My name is Frank Cole and with me, I'm Chris Tonkinson. And this is episode 012. How are you, buddy? 12. I'm doing good. Yeah. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. So I I was, uh, I'm playing this new demo, uh, this, this game uh, called Outrider, which is another mm-hmm. looter shooter in the in the vein of Destiny. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really good. It's actually really, really good. I'm enjoying it quite a bit. And I have finally hit the upper limits on my current video card setup, which, as you might recall, is three count them three triple sli setup nvidia geforce 960s from 960s okay yeah i know you had the triple sli but i didn't know what you uh what you were running yeah Yeah. 960s they're gonna start showing their age but good luck good luck my friend finding any kind of replacement right now (laughs) yeah so i that i was i was stunned i had so I went looking this morning. I went on to Newegg and I was just sort of browsing. You sweet summer child. I, I, apparently. <laughs> so I found some things. And when I narrowed in, because I'd like to just upgrade the cards. I don't want to do a full kit rollover right now. I just, mm-hmm. that's a huge pain in the butt. And honestly, I get annoyed that that, that gear then just collects in my closet. So yeah. um, I think I can sell the video cards though. I think I can turn those over. So uh, so I'm looking for things on a you know specific. I know there's uh, the PCI Express four uh, O format is out now, and mm-hmm. my board is still three O, but they're 3-0, still making three yeah. Os, the three O X sixteen. So mm-hmm. I can still find those cards, but yes, they're just so. They're, everything is out of stock. What, what yeah. is what is that? Now, do you know of, what that's about? Get- I do, oh, I do. Okay. But first of all, uh, the four X card should be reverse compatible with the three O slot. Oh, that's true. Yeah, maybe I future proof myself a little bit. So that's- yeah, so so I don't think you have to limit yourself to three O cards. There, there should be reverse. I don't know that for a fact. Okay, um, but yeah, this is this is the video card shortage is has been ongoing now for months, a year, longer than that. Um, and as I understand it, I I understand bits and fragments. Um. But yeah, there's generally, I mean, so this year, you know, in March of 21 for the last year, we've been dealing with COVID shutdowns and um, there are, as you know, as everybody's aware by now, just globally, there are supply chain issues just across the board. Um, a lot of that, uh, a lot of that was due to early shutdowns. Um, it turns out that just in time manufacturing, which the industry has come in love with over the last few decades, uh, does not handle surges in demand very well. I don't know if this was understood going into it and it was a calculated risk, but um, the supply shocks you saw to say toilet paper or automotives or GPUs, um, this just-in-time manufacturing apparently it, it can't handle what happened over the last So months. is it a surge? Was it a surge in I mean I get it with the, the toilet paper thing. I'm yeah you know, well aware of that. But with video cards, was it a surge in demand or was it a sag in delivery because so of quarantines? 
Well, but 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 those are those are to say the same thing because the raw materials coming in and mm-hmm. then the pre-finished parts moving to the next line in the chain, all of that was delayed. And mm-hmm. so some of this is due to overseas shipping. Um, you know, the ports are blocked up, both shipping, you know, receiving, and then of course, then shipping blocks up too, right? Um, internationally. Uh, but part of it was, you know, part of it was the shutdown. So you have you have an interruption in labor, so you have an interruption in output, and then that puts strain on on um it put strain on everything that didn't resolve quickly. Then you have everybody shifting to work from home. Like both the the chips and the wafers are in short. So this is like a this is like a global issue. Um mm-hmm. because everybody shifted from home. So all of a sudden everybody's buying laptops and keyboards and microphones and cameras and monitors and all of this other kit. Um and amidst what I think uh there are two I don't know this for sure, but my suspicion is that there were two things leading into this though that all of this only compounded one was the i'm gonna say it ai ml uh bonanza that's going on right now i know i said it i said it no you Um, didn't the yeah doing math fast is what it's actually called um actually with with a lot of if else with a lot of if else Math fast, math um, really fast. So, so you have statement. you have companies like like Amazon, AWS. I forget what it's called, but they have a service where they'll they'll basically give you timeshare into a GPU, so you can run GPU intensive workloads through the cloud um, for a lot of this, you know, facial recognition or whatever other that MI uh, uh, AI and ML. The devil these are. kids are doing these days. So I I think what's happening is you've got the cloud players gobbling up lots of supply B two B. Combined with a lot of demand for GPU hardware for crypto mining, yeah, well, and that, I think that, that one, was yeah. setting up that was setting up into a squeeze leading into COVID, and then you had all of the supply chain issues that are continuing to ripple. Um, and yeah, you can't. And actually, Nvidia put out a press uh, presser a couple of weeks ago. Um, <laughs> it's it's smart, and and you hate it, but. Nvidia said, "Oh well, we're actually going to release a line of dedicated crypto mining GPUs, and so they're going to be optimized for that purpose. They literally won't have video outs, so you can't, <laughs> you cannot use them for gaming. And they're going to put firmware in. I didn't realize this at first. I heard about this later. They're going to put firmware in the cards to nerf." Uh, mining on the cards they are they are producing with video outs, so they're they're going to try to engineer their firmware so that you can't mine on the cards for gaming and that you can't game on the cards for mining to segment the market. Their excuse for this is well, then the miners will only buy the mining specific cards and it won't squeeze out the gamers who are having trouble getting their equipment. Um, I think there are a lot of valid reasons why they may have done that. And it it's there are a lot of reasons why it may be smart business, and there are a lot of reasons why reasons yeah, there are a lot nice of reasons, reasons why it it feels really really icky. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I, <laughs> from I a consumer was, standpoint, I was wi- I'm with them on the Bitcoin focus card with removing the the ports. That's that's kind of neat. The firmware thing to nerf the performance feels kind of that feels kind of slime ball. But, you know, no, no. I mean, you know, the market is the market and you are providing something to support that market, which is great. I think that's good. 
But then you, the retroactive co- side yeah. is- And there's going to be cost savings on their side, right? Because there sure. are components that go into the video output on right. the you ship are, that you're they don't able need to, to manufacture. Costs. Yeah. Um, and even if they don't pass that on to the consumer, people are going to buy those. Right. right? If they're available, people are going right. to buy them. Um, well, I would, as a, as a miner, I would expect that card to be cheaper. I mean, this is not, right. this card is made for mining, which, and I know, I mean, it's this, people it are not dumb. They're having the stuff. same conversation you or yeah. I are having. So there's yeah. no video out. So I expect this to be lighter weight, both in terms of parts and time and cost. So I expect it to be cheaper. Yeah, but I don't think it, I, I don't guess that it will be. I think it'll be at a, at a similar price. Then, uh, they're going to pass that cost on. What they're trying to do, though, is get somebody to buy that. Now, it could be if, they, if it's not, then they're not going silicon to silicon that they they say, OK, removing the components that are required for video out actually materially enhances our ability to produce these things. And so it'll actually answer some of the supply for the, the crypto market. I'm like, OK, now, either way. There, there should be cost savings. I'm just taking, I'm, I'm taking you're the taking the cynical man. Route. Yeah, you're I'm taking the cynical route. route that they're not going to pass that on. Or if it is, it's going to be you know four hundred dollars versus three hundred ninety five dollars. I don't think there's going to be an appreciable difference. If they don't, though, if they don't, then this effort is for naught because there's no, no there's no, no incentive not, to, the, to the, do the it. incentive. No, the incentive is the firmware is going to nerf mining performance on the regular cards. Oh, right. Yes. Right, because so you and I whole, have it, right because those because those software based lockouts they they always work really is, well. Firmware really is well. impenetrable. That's right. <laughs> you know what else? You know what else is impenetrable? The 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 anti copy technologies. Circa you know the 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 late nineties before Frank, you know the, the software st- says you can't mine on those cards. <laughs> Come on, that's <laughs> right. That's right. And there's this anti copy stuff that you know is going to completely prohibit your ability to. Do if there anything. wasn't, if there was not a flourishing, healthy, and robust underground for reversing the G, the NVIDIA firmware, now there is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now there absolutely it's exactly is. my point. Like now you have two <laughs> problems. You know, yeah. like you, don't 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 do that, man. Well, but let's but let's say but let's say five or ten percent of the market does that, and you're not going to stop them. It's going to happen. Everybody knows it. I think it's um, more than five ten percent. But if if this does materially improve their ability to serve both of those uh, both of those segments for the other 80%, 90% of the market, then okay. You know, again, from a business standpoint, maybe it's a smart move. Oh, no, I was, like I said, I'm, I, I think, I mean, constructively, it's, it's a good thing. Yeah. The problem that I've got is when the, when, when companies, and it can be any company, it doesn't have to be, you know, big names and, you know, video cards or social media or, you know, Google, Facebook, those sorts of things. It's, it's when your practices go from being from supporting the market to uh, uh, being antagonistic to your customer base. So this well, nerf, this, this nerf to Intel the firmware this, is, is yeah. Is antagonistic. Intel did this uh, maybe a decade ago. They were getting okay. They had dual cores. Now they have quad cores. They're starting to explore more. Th- or was it maybe it was AMD? I forget. Let me take that back. I don't know which manufacturer it was. There was somebody who tried to put out a. Um, a high frequency, I think it was a quad core chip, and they couldn't get it to work because they couldn't keep it cool enough. Mm-hmm. So they manufactured a, a, I think it was quad core chip, and firmware disabled one of them. Right. So, so you were so buying it. Was, it, it was and- a three core. It was capable of, but they, or, or maybe it was a. Maybe it was a four core. One didn't work, so they turned off the other one too. And it was only it was something like this where they couldn't manage the thermals, and so they 
they made the decision to nerf like like just take a core out mm-hmm. of operation before the thing shipped and it's like why <laughs> i don't unless it was the the only so I, yeah okay a three core chip and now i'm saying it it may have been amd doing it a three it may have been that they tried to make a quad core they couldn't make it work so they sold it as a three core even though it was the same hardware it had four cores but they only activated three of them i mean the truth well that's yeah it's really weird to have a three core chip because nerds tend to think in powers of two well, the rub there would be the truth in advertising. Did they sell it as a quad core and then silently? No. Okay. No, well, then, then that's fine. So no. what they probably, hey, we're already producing this thing. You know, we'll go back to our waterfall discussion last week. But it reminds me of the same thing because if I recall correctly, there was somebody that figured out how to use it. Yeah. Well, uh, of course, because of course they did, you know, yeah. I, I mean, that's just. <laughs> that's the, that's what happens so now i think it was i think it was for and this is not just this is this this uh chip and wafer shortage is not just not just hitting the gpu industry i think the um I tablet and smartphone manufacturers i was gonna say i imagine processors that, in general would have a problem yeah yeah the the um mobile manufacturers have signaled that by the end of the year they're gonna see a squeeze on mm. on output um I think it was Ford, and I'm sure they're all doing it, but I think I saw a headline about Ford specifically um, actually cut SKUs. So they they uh, they just stopped selling, you know, because a, a modern, um, you know, is is not your is not your father's automotive market. No, the whole um, thing is a giant computer at this point, right? With, a, with right. an engine since attached to since, it. Since since the late '80s, uh, Feds have mandated there be at least one computer system on board every vehicle, and then since the now there's probably 30 different separate control modules and computer systems on a modern vehicle you go out and buy a 2021 it's got probably at least 30 computers on board. oh mine's um i mean i got and, a 2020 and it's it's crazy the amount yeah, of the yeah. amount of technology um, and electronics in there is insane yeah yeah and so ford they you know they had a number of SKUs with different options and they cut a bunch of them and mm-hmm. they started selling the more bare bones because they literally otherwise couldn't satisfy manufacturing demand because they couldn't get the computers in them. And so they had to, they had to stop selling SKUs, stop producing SKUs, mm-hmm. pardon me, um, that they couldn't source the parts for, because otherwise they would have been dead in the water. And it's like a whole industry-wide, technology-wide um, thing. And I, like I said, I, I think it's because of, um, I think it's because of the, the AI garbage in the cloud. And I think it's because of um, crypto, at least that set the stage. And then you had the supply chain disruption, which just nerfed everything. Hmm. Okay, uh, but yeah, you're you're not going to find a card, pal. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, well, no I did find you're... a few. I found a few. Okay, I mean, so how there... many thousands of dollars worth? <laughs> I, actually, the super high end stuff is all gone. What I actually found mm-hmm. was mid range stuff. Um, yeah. stuff in well, I guess it depends on how you define mid range. That's and, priced the way high end stuff would have been priced. Yeah, and and so yeah. now that's I mean that that was actually where I had where I had stopped my search prior to. You know, us getting on and, and talking. I'm sitting here. I'm thinking, these look like. I mean, I see the bleeding edge. The bleeding edge looks really expensive right now, and the mid range seems really expensive right now. So, I mean that that explains that explains why. So maybe I'm our dishwasher has be- been broken. Our dishwasher has been broken for three months now because uh, the main board had a problem, and we're just waiting on back order Oof. for a little control board for a dishwasher. I mean, it's 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 everything. Mm-hmm. It's everything. It's, it's bad. I, I really I'm actually in a phase where I have I have a, a workstation and a server in the basement um, and I have a laptop and I'm, I'm trying I want to consolidate and, you know, I have this master plan and I'm just not going to do it this year. Like mm-hmm. I'm going to buy uh, like onesie twosie parts or minor enhancements to get me through the year 
and I'll upgrade next year, assuming prices come down and supply comes back because it's just, it's such a premium to buy right now that I'm like, well, that's, it's, you know, I'd have, I'd have to spend probably two to $3,000 more than I wanted to for this plan right, if right. I did it now. And it's like, is anything actively on fire? No. So I'm going to wait. Yep. Yep. I'm, I'm in the same boat. I mean, I, you know, I've got yeah. that server closet, that, that big, that big production server enclosure in my basement. You got that rack in the, you got that rack, you got to start filling it. And I got to start filling it. And I was thinking, you know, I I had reached a point where other costs had, excuse me, other costs had leveled out. And uh, my wife wasn't asking for additional things around the house. They, you know, like the, our, our house projects had, had stabilized and I thought, Hmm, okay, maybe we'll do this now. And then, nope. Nope. Okay, so on that topic, let's stay nerdy for a minute. On that sure. topic, um, I got I see a lot of people. I got a couple of guys I work with. Um, they're into the actual uh, server hardware. You know, mm-hmm. you, you rack mounted hardware for their home lab. Yep. Um, instead of the way I've always traditionally done it, which is to just build a, a you know a PC to spec. Yeah, you just use an ATX tower and you just you know build it yeah, as a yeah. server. Yeah. Um, or you know, multiples uh, from your perspective, because I know you've been you've been planning this for a while for a for a, an enthusiast, a home labber, a, an entrepreneur, somebody that's got a basement lab or something like this mm-hmm. for production environment. What are the material differences between going to Newegg, building a PC, you know, in a box uh, mm-hmm. versus going to eBay and buying like Dell units, you know, one U units secondhand? Like, what do you? Why would I? Why would I choose that route? Gotcha. Uh, so the first thing, uh, first thing I've noticed having go, this because this is the second time I I did this. The, when I when I built my my home equipment, this is going back probably five or six, well, probably more than that at this point, almost ten years. Gosh, man, I'm old. Well, the server, the availability of server enclosure hardware has gone way up. So if you go on Newegg now, you can find ATX form factor rack mount empty cases like right there next to stand up on the floor server towers so okay and are those but but you're still okay so you're so so you can so you can build your you can build your own systems and they can just so happen to be rack mount form form factor the exact same all the same parts all that stuff it's just you know you get a four for these Right, but for a but that that was my question. But for like a traditional, like if I took all my you know EATX components and stuffed mm-hmm. them into a box, that's going to be at least for you. You would get, I mean, depending on what you were trying to do, because you know if you're building, like if you've got something that's got you know the video cards in it, you know the video cards tend to be, I don't know what you would do rack mounted wise. I guess you could. I mean, it's reaching a point where you could do, I mean, over the wire in your house stream if you really wanted to. But I, I think that, that technology is still a, a ways off. But uh, well, you know, but generally, if you're doing, uh, you're doing Plex or you're mining, you know, there's, there's reasons well, right. to have so GPUs the, in a. Yeah. Well, right. Yeah. Okay. So if you're doing, yeah, comp- uh, like video compression and, and things like that. Um, but even with the Plex stuff, that's more processor and hard, and hard drive because you're not actually, you know, you're feeding it over the wire. You're streaming it. There's no video card and there's no graphic processing necessarily. Oh, yeah, there Plex is. Server. Yeah, because is there? Well, specifically with Plex and I know, you know, MB and Jellyfin and all those, they they do it to different different degrees. Uh, but Plex, uh, I know the best, although I've been using Jellyfin recently. Um, it will take the source, so whether it's an MP4 or an MKV or whatever it is, and it will actually live transcode to fit both A, 
the resolution of the target device and mm-hmm. B, the network characteristics between your server and that device. So it oh. automatically downsamples or, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Um, and so by default, yeah, it just uses CPU and it's, I mean, unless you're, unless you're sending some ridiculous uh, bitrate file in 4K with HDR and all this kind of stuff, like a dual quad core CPU is going to be fine most of the time. Right. You're going to see a little buffering. It's not going to be bad. Um, uh, but I know with Plex, if you have Intel and an NVIDIA card specifically, it's got to be those two for whatever driver reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, you're able to offload the transcoding to the GPU. Got it. Okay, so then in that case, so yes, you would go with a for you because you would need that case to be the proper size, Tall which is to take which the is cards. Yeah. right. Well, and the CPU cooler anyway, right? I mean, CPU coolers. I mean, depending on what you're doing, like if you wanted to go, you know, super hardcore, you could do some water cooling. Although I don't know how many. Uh, I have not seen a rack mounted. I have not seen that. No, that 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 I have definitely not seen. But if you think about it, the four U unit is essentially your standard ATX form factor turned sideways. Sideways. And so we're back to it's almost like we're back to original desktops. Remember when those compacts? It was actually a it sat on your desk, and then it was the the monitor. You know, the big old CRTs would Mm -hmm. plunk right on top of it. It, We're almost back to that. So you go with those those you you get a big chunky thing. (laughs) You know, you always had your desk up against a wall because if the thing tipped over, you didn't want the CRT (laughs) to hit the ground. (laughs) Oh my gosh, man! I remember setting up computer labs. My first jobs in it was in a in the summers in a school district and and uh, setting up computer labs was I unboxed these new computers all day the same computer model over and over and over and over again Mm. (laughs) those big CRT monitors man so I remember two things being the the biggest annoyance one was lugging the CRTs around uh, in the box or otherwise and two was then cleaning up all the boxes in foam Yes, I hate styrofoam, dude. If I ever find the guy that invented styrofoam, <laughs> I'm gonna punch him on the nose. I hate that stuff. It's, it's ever. Nah, I'll spare the <laughs> rant, but man, I hate that it's, stuff. It's 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 styrofoam, man. You you are you are. You said styro. You said styrofoam. Foam. Neither styrofoam. of us can talk today. Look now, you're Sty- infecting me. Styro. What did Ro. I put in my coffee? What is it? What is up with you? <laughs> Elmer Fudd, and now you're like. You know, need a dictionary styrofoam. Anyway, so you were asking about serious, but about about the the experience of of building out in yeah. the uh, in the enclosure. So, if you what I have seen is don't go for anything that actually talks about rack mount, other than this the enclosure because the box you, know, you got to get the box. Don't buy other server enclosure or enterprise. I'm doing air quotes right now around this stuff. Because great radio. you 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 immediately pay a premium for that yeah. being on the box or in the See, title. You know, I, yeah, and I originally thought one of the reasons people went for it back in the day was because you really couldn't get a dual socket board. Well, that's where it started, out, right? In, you would in, get these like corporate, an ATX form factor, right? You right. had to go with you had the server, you had the server boards. They had the dual processor sockets. So you'd have two, literally the two processors, and it would be made to fit the the form factors of the of the enclosures. Um, it's not ITX. There was another. There's a there was a server form factor. Yeah. But that's all kind of you know that's that's in the past. That's out. That's that's outdated. Yeah. At this point, it's simply a matter of the of the enclosure setup. And the whole thing is just tilted on its side, which is how you set the thing up anyway. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, you just get the. You get the rack mount enclosure and you're just getting ATX form factor board and really your, All your cho- normal desktop 
class all your normal desktop class stuff is i mean at this point there really isn't much difference you i mean obviously you focus in on the speed where you want it to you know so depending on what you want to do you might be able to get away with spinning rust and so you just throw a massive quantity of 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 physical drives in there and do a raid uh like a raid five or something like that um or have you heard about have you heard about d raid d raid no, this is a neat, this is this is newer. I just learned about this uh, maybe last month. So raid um, for those that don't know raid uh, raid is when you take uh, multiple independent hard drives uh, and that um, because I'm an old and cranky, I may call them discs, although they're redundant not array of independent <laughs> of independent discs. discs. Mm-hmm. Um, so a raid zero is where you take two drives and uh, you raid zero them and then the OSCs one combined drive. And it automatically, whether the driver or the um, controller, whatever's, you know, if it's hardware, software RAID, um, basically half your data gets written to one disk and half your data gets written to the other disk. Uh, And so what happens is reads and writes both get a lot faster because you're able to parallelize uh, 50% of your your disk IOPS. And so it's really, really fast. The risk is if you lose one disk, all your data goes away. RAID 1 is similar. You have two disks, you put them together. Uh, and your operating system now sees one single logical drive. Um, you still get you you still get the amount of storage uh, of the smaller drive. So if I have an 80 gigabyte drive and a 100 gigabyte drive in either RAID zero or RAID one, no, I'm sorry, RAID zero they would be combined, right? So RAID zero they'd be combined. Um, RAID zero, actually, be combined. no, you'd have you'd have 160, right? Because it's it's the lesser of the two times two. Um, and then RAID one, uh, you'd see eight only 80, uh, but with a RAID one. It writes the same data to both disks. You don't get nowadays. You do get a little bit of performance boost, but the reason you do that is if one disk dies, you still have your data. You see one and logical drive, but there's actually two physical drives in the background. If one dies, you right. still have your all the, all your data. You could burn right. one of the drives, and all your data would still be there. Yeah. And then RAID five is similar to a RAID one. You have let's say you need at least three drives, and then your data is striped across them such that, and I won't get into details, but you lose any one of the three drives, you still have your data. Um, and there are some different performance characteristics with that. Um, and then there are some more advanced things. But D-RAID, I just learned about, is the idea where you can take a, a RAID 5 or a RAID 6 um, and do it to an arbitrary number of disks. So what you can mm. say is, I have, let's say I want to do RAID 5, um, <clears throat> but I have 19 disks. I can do a D-RAID, and I, I'm going to get the terminology wrong, but essentially it's, it's I think it's, uh, what is it called, distributed RAID? Where I say, all right, I want to do RAID 5, but across these 19 disks, such that any given block of data is going to be striped across two of them and parodied to a third, so that I can lose a disk and not lose any data, but I've got more capacity than I could with a simple three disk RAID 5 setup. So it's a way to increase the, so it's a way to have the the RAID setup and increase your volume uh your volume of available right. space simply by adding more disks right yeah, yeah. so okay. i can so so it's like um because normally uh, if, in a raid what you would have to do to increase the capacity is basically okay i've got a set of i've got a set of drives right now that are 100 gig if i want to increase my capacity i buy another whole set of say 200 gig drives and then i individually you know i pull one out I put it in, it restripes. I pull one out, I put it in, it restripes across. And then, but now I've got, I still have 
just the three discs. And I've got the three new ones and I have the three old ones that I have pulled out. I don't have six discs. I have three discs. Yeah. And so what you're describing, it sounds like, well, okay, I went from three. Now I've got six. Well, you can't nine. I don't. I don't know if you can add discs into it later. Oh, oh, I th- okay. You may have to build with a set number, uh, but it's it's in how you determine basically how many, um, what the failure mode is, and then how many uh, how many replicas. They basically uh, added variables to the number of discs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I get it. So it's, uh, I look get at it. look at it's it's a neat. Uh, anyway, it made me think of that because you get the the like the what did I think they're usually two U the drive yeah uh, rack mount drive enclosures yeah um, and I mean you can still so you know back to the the server mount stuff I mean you can do you can do the smaller ones It really the form factor you need is entirely dependent on what it is that you're trying to build. Obviously you go with the bigger form factors, which it tends not to be a problem for homebrew stuff. Cause you're not worried about maxing out. Like you're not thinking about, okay, well, if I, if I go with a for you across, you know, 400 units, I now just increase the physical floor space that I require <laughs> by a factor yeah. of three. You yeah. know, like you're not thinking in those levels. So going with the bigger one doesn't tend to be the same punishment that it would be in a, in a, you yeah. know, in a colo or something like that. Um, but you can get the smaller ones, you can get the bigger ones. And then the internals of them too are laid out differently. So if you're building something that is very, um, uh, data storage dependent, you can find them where they'll have 16 hard drive bays. So you can nice. throw just a, a ridiculous number of, of drives into the into the enclosures and uh or you know video cards like we were saying you know those those kinds of things um and then of course there's the aesthetics of them as well and now they do server mount stuff like you can get wall mounted like wall mounted rack mounts so i have a small one i have a small one it's one u it's just a tiny little strip and i used it for a patch panel and so I have the wires that go out to my house punched down into this small patch panel. And I've just got that drilled. I think I use drywall anchors and it's just, you know, just plugged it right into the wall. It's got a clips. So I can take the pieces in and out and makes it mm-hmm. makes it pretty easy to get to the back of it. And it just kind of sticks nice. out from the wall. So you can do those kinds of things. I've seen rack mount boxes that are, you know, these tiny little things they'll hold maybe like some of them is as, as, some of them as small as 16 U and, mm-hmm. and U equals units. It's the, it's the vertical, it's a, it's a vertical standard. I forget what the actual measurement is. It doesn't matter. It's like the, the atomic, the atomic unit of, of height for the rack mount for the server. rack. Mounts. So one U All, is the, is, I don't think there's anything small. I don't there's nothing there's smaller than so one U. U and then two U and then four U and then. They make bigger ones too, but I mean, they, yeah. they tend to be at four tends to be the max and it's yeah. a standardized size. So it doesn't matter what equipment you buy from whoever, if you yeah. buy a rack and then you have a rack mount equipment, it will fit, fit. and it will, yeah. it, it, there's holes and you just And I think plug a standard, right a standard like full cabinet rack is what, 20U, I think, something like well, that. Defined standard. I mean, mine's, I don't know if mine's, no, I mean the but full. Like a, like a typical full size. I mean, the full size I've got is. No, I think the full size I've got is like 80. I got I would have is to check. Really? Yeah, they're really oh. tall. They're really, oh, really okay. tall. Um, okay, so after the show, I actually went back and double checked my case. It's an APC unit and it is 42 inches deep and 78 inches tall. It has 42 units in it, 42U. 
uh, 1U is about two inches. And so what I was actually thinking about it during the show recording was the uh, the individual notches that you can screw down and secure into. Each U actually has three notches in each one. So I was thinking of something else and totally brain farted. But there you go. There's a, a little bit more information about you know, what the container actually is. It has been, I could, <laughs> I, I, I may sound like an idiot to, to our, our, our listeners because yeah, please, I, I have back at refactor.work, <laughs> uh, send all of your hate mail to Frank at <laughs> subject, subject. Frank is an idiot and can't count. <laughs> no, Chris is, I'm going to get, I'm going to get flack for that D raid uh, botched explanation. <laughs> go check it out. Look, look, you kids go to Wikipedia, figure it out for yourselves. I don't care. I figured this out years ago. I don't know the newfangled D raid stuff is. No. You, so we're talking, we're with. talking about all this. This is great because we've got probably optimistically nine months, maybe 12, 18 before I actually move on any of this. It's the mm-hmm. perfect amount of time to me for me to forget all of what I've learned today. Because <laughs> <laughs> I am back to our topic. I am not buying anything right now. Yeah. I mean, you um, can buy parts. I bet. I, I wonder if cases have actually come down in price because the, if the, so if the supply side of cards is so high, I wonder how many people are going, well, the hell, you know, noping out of this. And so is the case availability up or is case availability oh. down commensurately because the demand for the cards is so high? So maybe you can get other. So if the if the boards and processors are really expensive, are the other parts cheaper right now? I, I don't it. know. I doubt, I doubt it. it. This stuff never goes on sale. Black Friday occasionally. That's about it. No. Um, <clears throat> so. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, building the rack mount stuff, um, it's, it's really fun. Just stay away from anything that says enterprise, stay away from anything yeah. that says, uh, server, um, even yeah, stay away I from didn't anything know you that could says get, rack mount. You, I didn't know you could get, uh, rack mount chassis that accept like ATX, ATX. Yeah. I didn't know that's, that's I, one of the things that I'm planning. So you heard one, it here first folks. <laughs> so one of the things I'm planning to do is build out, I want to do. I want to do CCTV. I want to do a closed circuit television system around around my my property. Um, paranoid, probably. I'm not trying to be paranoid. I just think one. I think it's a really cool idea. Uh, and two, for Fun practical project. reasons, I have a I have a publicly accessible walking path abutting my my property line, and so, and I've got small children, and I'm just being extra paranoid. Um, yeah. And so, uh, so I want to do, so I want to do that. So um, it's just a standard size suburban lot. It just happens to run up against, uh, you know, public, public land. And uh, I've actually spoken with some of the the officers in in town. And one of the things they Mm -hmm. they don't have a whole lot of cameras along that walking path. They don't have a lot of coverage. But they, but what they'll do is occasionally we will literally see that the walking path is, is wide enough for a vehicle Mm -hmm. deliberately we'll see the cop cars very just drive down just just cruise on down the path at deliberately odd hours yeah you know looking for looking for shenanigans uh mm-hmm. it doesn't happen often it's you know it's only on occasion or if they get a call or things like that yeah. but there i have seen i've gotten enough hints to go you know what maybe i should do just a you know just a little bit yeah. so yeah. Um, but it was and it's a good excuse because i, I like the cctv stuff and there is no way in hell that I am going to put in, <clears throat> in and around my house those web connected you cameras. You don't want to ring. I don't want to ring. You don't want. You I don't, don't want to give Uncle Jeff safe. more insight into your life. <laughs> than he already has. 
No, no, I do not. And anybody, here's the thing with those services. If, if, if it's web connected and you can access it through a, so you, you hook up the camera and then you connect it outside and, and then you can view it from your phone and there's a service attached to it. So Simply Safe does this, Ring does this. There's a, there's a half dozen of these different companies. If, if you can see it, anyone in the middle of that process, so anyone at the provider who's providing that website or that app that you're using, they can see it too. Don't kid yourself. You do not have privacy from yeah, those even, services. Even if they say it's E to E, I would be skeptical because then encryption is easy, but key management is always where people get into trouble. And so I, I don't I'm, buy it. I'm likewise. I've thought do about not this buy in the it. past. Um, <clears throat> I've, I've thought about this in the past and uh, uh, it's, it's, I, I, I almost, I get paralyzed because I'm like, I refuse, I refuse to give a third party service total video access to my property, even if mm-hmm. they say they don't. And oh, we have policies and we yeah, do this. Bull. And that's I don't, like, I don't I, care okay. about your policies. Um, and I mean, yeah, there and, are stories. I mean, you and can, then tomorrow you get popped your databases on the internet and, you know, I, well, and there's I don't, stories I don't of like these it. people, there, there are stories from these third party services, people reading messages, you know, oh, people sure, who are not, sure. who are not, who are violating policy, as you said, yeah. and are you know reading messages against policy, are getting into video feeds against policy. Like there are human beings, if there are human beings between between the camera and you, human beings are flawed. Yeah. You're you, people are going to be looking at that feed and the end to end encryption thing. Like you said, it's keys. Okay, yeah, it's end to end encryption. Who holds the key? Do I do? Or do I hold it or do you? Well, if you do, then. <laughs> It doesn't flip and matter. It might as well be well, no encryption uh, at all. Uh, iMessage, right? iMessage is a an Apple's done um, explainer documentation on how iMessage works and what the architecture is. And it's really a great system. It really is a neat system. Um, but they do the key management, so it's only so you know it's only so secure. It's, mm-hmm. There's no you know for example, there's no indication. And even if they did that right, that's great. But there's no indication to the end user for say. Uh, that an extra key got added to the conversation for read purpose and you'd never know as a user. And so it's just, it's problematic. It's, it's still a giant. I mean, yeah. as these companies get squeezed because uh, nobody really wants to offer fully EDE services because then those, uh, we don't want to get into politics here at Refactor, but then you have um, issues with service providers being able to respond to warrants. And so, you know, it gets, it gets murky quick, but I, yeah, I won't put, um, I don't, I won't put a third party service. I don't even like the fact we have uh, Comcast here. And the stupid microphone or the stupid, uh, see what I'm calling it? The stupid uh, remote control for the TV has a uh, microphone. You can say, I don't, mm-hmm. I've never looked at it. I just see that it's a microphone and I tell my kids, don't push that button. You know, I just, oh, so, I, know, know so I have Comcast too. You don't use the microphone, the push to talk no. thing at all? No. Oh, wow. Okay. So nope. you're even more p- paranoid than no, I. I have, I, uh, I have an Alexa device for work. Uh, we're working on a, uh, on an Alexa skill and um, that stays unplugged in a drawer. Unless I'm actively, I've, I've got to help the team with something. Mm-hmm. I don't do. The oh, hey, I don't have. Yeah. Hey, hey, lady, uh, on the on the devices, the automatic uh, inv- uh, in invocation of the. You know, we don't do that. Okay, because. Google. Hey, Alexa. Yes. <laughs> did I just? Hear- I did that to my buddy. He was all proud. I walked into his house. I noticed he had like a a, ring, a nest, I get ring, whatever it was, out front. And I walk mm-hmm. in and I see the Nest thermostat. Yeah. And uh, I see the Alexa sitting over on the table. I was like, Oh, so you get all the smart? He's like, Yeah, I'm really into the smart home stuff. And I went, Hey, Alexa, buy ten thousand cases of AAA batteries. And it went, Okay. 
It's like, oh, she's, you know. <laughs> now, I think by default, by the way, for anybody that had that on speaker, I think by default, uh, it won't, it'll add it to your cart in, in Alexa's case specifically. It adds the item to your cart, but it won't buy it unless you actually go into the app or the site and click. Um, I think you can turn that on, but I think it's off by default. And and also I learned that day that Alexa will not allow you to voice order more than 12 of anything at a time. <laughs> hey, Alexa, go buy 12 shares of GameStop. <laughs> Berkshire Hathaway. To the moon. <laughs> to the moon. Goodness. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't use I I, I don't use any of that, that stuff either. I, um, but no. the Comcast remote thing, I mean, you push the button to turn it on. I, I guess in theory, it could always be recording, I suppose. But honestly, it can't get it right half the time when I'm <laughs> yelling into it. So I really not sure how much I trust its ability to record across the room. Um, that one never that one never bothered me. Alexa bothers me. Nest bothers me. Um, you know, the, those, those services make me, make yeah. me wary. So anyway, um, yeah, I'll, I'll get back to that at some point. CCTVs. There's, there's a lot of cool stuff that you can do in, in there too. Yeah. There's, there's neat stuff there. I've thought, well, I've been thinking about smart homifying, but, but on-prem, right. All of that's got to be local control. There's no third parties. That's a, that's a tougher one to solve for in a way that I feel like I feel good about spending the time and money to, you know, design the overall system and and implement it and install everything. Um, and then future proofing, you know, is another thing. So what standard do you pick? And there's a lot of, there's mm-hmm. a lot of details there. Yeah. yeah. Interestingly, I, I'm less, hmm, I personally am less concerned about that in a business setting, but I wonder how much of that actually bleeds over for, for most companies because, um, you know, my my day job we're we're a security oriented automation firm, and we are, but we use we we have basically sworn off of hosting our own equipment. Like we we don't want to do that at all, and so we use all SaaS services, which is in theory, you know. The, the pinnacle of the the kinds of things that we're talking about. And it's always it's always been funny to me how, you know, personally we get super paranoid, but then on the company side of things, ah, who cares? Everyone can everyone can see everything. And it includes everything, it includes stuff that's still super duper sensitive, you know, like HR. Yeah. You know, we use a we use a service called um uh Trinet, which is a it's it's a focused on small businesses. It's it's really nice. Um it's 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 HR as a service. And so, you know, I get my check comes from HR. It actually says my check actually comes from Trinet. It says Trinet on there. But then their agreements with my actual employer set up such that, okay, we're going to pay you as the employee. But all but these people over here are going to tell you everything that you actually have to do. (laughs) So it's like you're our employee and then we are loaning you out for them to do whatever they want. However they want. It's it's a really it's it's an interesting arrangement. But the way what you ultimately end up with is HR as a service and all this stuff is set up. And because of the way that they're set up, you have um, everybody, all the employees, employees across all these different small businesses actually total up into a pretty hefty organization. And so they're able to negotiate really good benefits. So it's a good it's a. It's pretty clever. It's a pretty cool deal. Uh, I, 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 I like have, it. I, I haven't, you know, and and um, being, more, you know, I'm in an enterprise space and and regulated, by the way, regulated environment, which means we're we're only just now exploring um, 
you know, a cloud and some of the service offerings because of the, the, you know, mandates were. Under. Yes, because um, <laughs> because of the paranoia around, well, I, I can't yeah. possibly share cloud space with other other people. Yeah. Filthy, um, filthy others. But yeah, that's what regulation does for you. So, yeah. uh, but anyway, um, what was I going to say? I, as a as a, you know, more of a small business guy at heart, at least. I'm always troubled by this. Um, this valley of of need fulfillment so like you you start off and you're one guy with a desk and a cat and a computer and you have an idea and you don't have any over your overhead is is absolutely zero um and and it's fine and if you're 50 or 100 people you're at a scale where okay i could go i could hire somebody for hr or i could use uh, would you call it try trinet trinet try um, and there are a number of these different services HR. yeah um I could hire somebody to to traffic control and answer a phone, or I could do a, a not mint. What was that? We used a phone service. We did use um, oh, Grasshopper. 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 That was cool. Um, you know, there's all these little services, and and you know, Google for apps and all this other kind of stuff. And there's this service for everything, and it makes your life easy. Um, but the monthly outlay adds up quickly. It does. Now, if you're if you're at that 50, 100 person level, um you know, solidly in that SMB space, you, that's, that's a great deal for you because it's a headache. You don't have the time to deal with first and foremost, Mm -hmm. and it's probably cheaper than employing people or deploying servers, um, to do the equivalent functions. Um, and it's cleaner at any rate because you can turn it off tomorrow and you're not, you're not the fire Mm -hmm. people. It's uh, lay people off. If there's some downturn, you know, as a really, but in between, let's say you're a five or 10 person company, Right. Typically, the fees. Okay, I'm I'm now at a point where I have some employees, and I have this this low bar I need to meet. I have to meet some additional mm-hmm. burden that I didn't before when it was just me and my cat. Um, I don't have the budget. I don't have the margin to jump into not, one of these services that right. offers everything. I just need the lower portion, but I'm almost forced into those bigger services with the bigger bills because. Oh, and they also do this other stuff that I don't really need yet. And it's just this, it's this weird valley where you're, you're in that startup, you're in that small team space and just it feels like everything is painful mm-hmm. all the time. There's always, there's just always problems. Um, yeah, you're, you're in a gap where, where the, where you really feel the monthly costs of yeah. those services. Yes. Uh, you, you can, I think some of them are doing, some of them do better jobs with this than than others. Uh, a lot of them are doing per seat type stuff now. Yeah, uh, we were looking at. Uh, I had done some homework on, which is super helpful. But business development and marketing, they don't like not segmenting the market that way. So then you're talking about tiers, and that's always shadily crafted. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Tears, tears are always. There's always magic going on under the hood that that maximize the margins usually at the at the mid level at, at a yeah. minimum and and like then even they take something take something level. as simple as slack everybody takes slack for and i i don't particularly care for it but but you and i use it mm-hmm. and so what would it cost it's like six bucks for slack okay that's not bad was well, six bucks per month okay was well, six month six bucks per month per user to get in actually that's so let's, for so for take a look a, at like a two-man operation talking. so for a two-man operation it's a hundred 150 dollars a year for slack and mm-hmm. you think oh 
Well, that's not that much, but those things add up because Slack is one of probably 20 different services. If you're actually trying to do a startup, maybe you have one or two co-founders or something like this, mm-hmm. um, you're going to have 10, 20 or more services at $100 a month. It really adds up to real money very fast. And at some point, I was like, man, it's, I just want to hit the reset button. Like, I'm in a startup. There's three guys here, and I already want to hit the reset button because this overhead is killing me. Mm-hmm. It is. Uh, if you pay annually, it works out to $6.67 per user per month for the standard. So okay. they've got yeah. a standard, a plus, and an enterprise. We're going to sidestep enterprise because that's the call to get pricing that deals with you know HIPAA yeah. compliance and things like that. So we'll we'll push that that edge case out. If you wanted to go with plus in this case, they have an they have a guaranteed uptime SLA, which for Slack service where the distribution and the the customer count is so huge. I, I okay, so pr- actually pro tip here: if you're actually going for a service for anything and it it has you pay a premium for uptime SLAs, look at what the service is actually doing and how diversified the customer base is. Because you may not need to pay for that at all. So for Slack, yeah. I will never in a million years pay. It goes from six sixty seven to twelve fifty for the plus. Never in, will I rationalize the plus purchase because of that SLA. Because Slack is so has such a wide and diverse user base that even standards well, a, going down it is going to be a massive thing, and they're going to have to fix it. So yeah. I, I don't need to. Well, and with, so I don't know, I don't know anything about Slack's internal architecture, but it's a centralized service, which means the same platform is serving the customers with the SLA and without it, Mm -hmm. which means if you have, if they have one customer who's paying for the SLA, everybody else kind of gets it for free. The thing that you don't get is the refund. And if they breach, that's what you miss out on. But for a small team, it's it's not material. It's It's economies of scale. The only time that I would worry about SLA is if I had literally thousands of users yeah. because then a single outage would be a significant chunk of change that I would get back. Yeah. So yeah. it's, it's economies of scale, but you otherwise, that's, but that's SAS not the sole basis for the upgrade. Never. No, it's not the sole basis, but I'm saying that should, I, you hear about SLA. I hear a lot about SLAs in, in, in my line of work. And I think a lot of it is, it, it all comes back to the to the financial side, and and I f- I feel like a lot of people put excessive amounts of weight on those SLAs, thinking that it's going to get them some kind of additional stability or guarantee, and that's not what it is. It basically says w- when, because it it always happens, when, when not if, when when it goes down, you will be refunded for whatever percentage you are owed according to that SLA. I mean, case in point, you'll note that, you know, they talk about the uh, they talk about the number of nines. So in this case, it's ninety nine point nine nine percent guaranteed uptime. So that would be so four nines, five nines, six, seven. uh, I think the biggest one I've seen was um, Amazon S3, which I think has like nine nines or something like that. It goes way, way out. Well, note that it never actually reaches 100 it will never be a hundred percent. They are not guaranteeing perfection because they literally cannot. And so all they're doing is saying, okay, if we go over this amount of downtime, we're going to pay you the difference. And it's just getting closer and closer to a hundred. 
so that you get more back, but you're never going to not have an outage. Like it's just, yeah. it's just part of the deal. And so I think a lot of people put weight on SLAs and I mean, you need to, you need to take an SLA. You need to put that in the finance bucket. You don't think about that as when you're dealing with SaaS services, put it in the finance bucket. Don't put it in your, um, your, your productivity or your, 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 um, uh, operations. Like, don't think about it operationally because the service is always going to be pursuing 100%. If they're not, then you shouldn't even be there. They're always pursuing 100% and they're just not going to get it. And how much they don't get it is a financial thing because it'll depend on how many nines. That's that's how much you get back. That's it. It is. It it is. And you need and you should track it in case you have enough users where it's going to amount to something. If the contract is big enough, you want to you want to track it and and go after those uh, those those fees when you can. Mm-hmm. Um, now to flip that on its head, um, if you're, if you're inside of an organization and you're, say you're working uh, site reliability, those nines do have an operational impact on you and your team because those nines describe your budget for failure. That's true. So, so if you have a three nines contract, 99.9%, let's say you're dealing with an uptime SLA for a service, a uh, service will be available for use by client 99.9% of the time given over any calendar month. What that means, a three nines uptime means you have 43 minutes per month on average of allowed downtime before your organization has to pay out those fees for breaching the SLA. So you've got 43 minutes a month. Now, usually there are carve outs for like routine maintenance. I was going to say, there's hours. usually a If you're in a B2B setting, you have more allowances than B2C. Because um, B2C, you can't control when people are coming and using the service. That's tougher. Um, B2B, at least, you'll have you'll have some some additional carve outs. Okay, every Saturday morning from eight to nine, you know, central, we have a well. B2C know, might but, can st- you can still make that exception. You just may not exercise it as often. But I mean, I've seen services can. that actually talk about yeah, outages. Yeah. So yeah, as a, you, as a you consumer, can. you can. But you tend to have you tend to have a little less latitude of of that. Um, or a little mm. less tolerance for it, I should say. Oh, well, um, sure. Yeah, yeah. So you you got your three nines. That's that means forty three minutes a month. You can be down without anybody getting a getting a ruler to the the back of the hand. Um, <laughs> and so you start to think. You start to orient your engineering processes around this. Okay, I have forty three minutes that I could be down. If I have an outage, an unplanned, unexpected outage, I've probably blown my budget because it likely will take you a good chunk of that forty three minutes to. Uh, identify, respond, and remediate, and recover your service. You're likely blown at that point. Yeah. Um, but outside of that, if you have something like a long database migration or some kind of replatforming or a data center shift or anything like that, um, you know, a good SRE team will keep track on like an hourly basis. Hey, here's what you know. Here's how much time we have left in the month, and here's how many downtime minutes or seconds that we have remaining. This is our budget. They treat it like, and kind of tying back in what you said, Frank, the SLA becomes financial. They treat it like a financial resource. There's this much of this left for this month before we're in trouble. And so we're going to use it wisely if we, you know, um, and so those, that's what a mature, (laughs) I should say, that's what a mature reliability organization will look at inside of a, inside of a company that, that, you know, agrees to the SLAs for the service. Right. It, it's, it's kind it, it's funny how, it, how it, how they, the yin and the yang here, because as a, as a, as a, as a, um, as a customer, I, I, you know, I just made the case SLA, think about it financially. Otherwise put it out of your mind. Like it shouldn't, it shouldn't matter. But then as a, um, 
Um, on the business side, if you are responsible for one of these services, the SLA is your is your bread and butter, it's your lifeblood, yeah. and yeah. as it should be. But because the one side lives and dies by it, the other side generally really doesn't need to think about it, which is, I think, the way that this stuff should actually work. Well, this has been another great, I will say, wonderful episode. Delightful. Of the refit. Delightful. Delightful. Delectable. Uh, delectable. All right. Now you've gone too far. No, nah, it's all far. it's lunchtime. I'm hungry. Throw this recording out. We're going to start over. Uh, <laughs> this has been another episode of the Refactored Podcast, where it's our goal to suck a little less every day. My name is Chris Tonkinson. And I'm Frank Cole. You can find us at refactored.work. Uh, if you have anything to say to us, hate mail, corrections, love letters, we'll take it all. Frank can't feedback. count. Frank can't Frank count. Use. Chris yeah. can't say words. Say anything. That, say that, words. That actually exist. Basic English is Basic English. what I struggle with uh, at the moment. <laughs> you can hit us up refactored at uh, uh, feedback at refactored.org. Again, with the not, not speaking. Not, again. I can't even <laughs> say those words. Is this a professional operation or what? I'm starting no, to think it's maybe really not. not. <laughs> I'm starting to think maybe not. No. Well, it's been a good chat with you, Frank. Uh, Always. Appreciate your time. <laughs> Always a pleasure, buddy. I'll see you for And later. I will catch you next week. <laughs>